0: there. Welcome back to Beats by Transplant Social Work. I'm Kristen. And I'm Tiffany, your host for the show. We're so glad that you came back. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, check out episode one to learn more about who we are.
1: But a brief summary we are both certified clinical transplant social workers who specialize in all things heart transplant and lvad also known as left ventricular assist device
0: our goal is to talk all the things transplant and lvad from the social work perspective and to bring the human element back into the world of transplant for our fellow social workers and our patients this podcast is intended for social workers that work in the field of
1: transplant and or lvad if you're a patient pursuing a transplant or vad or a caregiver of a patient we welcome you here Although we are transplant social workers, we are not your transplant social workers. We hope topics discussed here may lead you to further discussion with your own transplant social worker.
0: This also applies to other transplant professionals who may stumble into our show. We do not take the place or attempt to override your transplant social worker, but provide perspective, and hope this allows for more open conversations and collaborations with your direct social worker.
1: As you will soon learn, we are both very passionate individuals, and although we may take the scenic route, we greatly invite you along this journey with us.
0: We are hopeful to make this a safe space to learn, be refueled, be heard, and feel understood. We want to challenge each other to be the best that we can for ourselves, for our patients, and we give you permission to challenge us.
1: Awesome. So let's go ahead and get started. So as per our usual programming, so it's time for the vital check. Now who's gonna go first? Uh, is the real question. Well,
0: uh, you let me have a break last week, so <laughs> uh, I can go first this week if you'd like.
1: All right. So Tiffany, how are you this week? How has your week been? And for the audience listening, it is officially Friday, so we are at the end of the week.
0: Woo-hoo! Hey. <laughs> well, I mean it's Friday, so there's that week was actually, it was actually decent. I had one of those weeks where I felt like I was really using my clinical skills this week. Like a lot of aha moments with patients and a lot of like, I don't know. I was digging deep in and just really, I don't know. Do you have those weeks ever where you're just like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. This is why I got in this field. Like, all right, I'm a decent social worker.
1: Yes, I've definitely, definitely had those weeks. Can you give us a example of what you mean by clinical work as opposed to like non-clinical work?
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, so what the theme seemed to be this week was identity. I legit had this conversation in multiple ways with multiple people. I, I happen to see a lot of my young adult patients this week. And that's one of my favorite populations to work with, actually, uh, because it's, it's that uh, it's that transition. It's that how do you be an adult, and then how do you be an adult with a transplant? And if you were an individual that was sick for a long time and through your childhood, or even if you got sick right before getting into that adulthood, a- and how do you how do you live life and how do you adult? And yeah. so, with these young adults, it was, who am I now? Mm. And. How does this fit into who I am? And and helping them recognize that though it's difficult to see, you are still you even after transplant. This is just an, another sliver. This is another piece of you. And really helping them understand and recognize what that means. And so for some people, it was a visual that I made. For some people, it was just like kind of connecting the dots with them and making analogies with them. Um, some, it was, I had a really good nugget today too. Uh, today's nugget that I I had was we were talking about how do you take away some of that guilt of your parents taking care of you, your family kind of putting their life on hold to help you, things like that. And then Mm, wanting to go,
1: I don't want to be a burden.
0: Exactly. And I mean, that happens for your, your older population as well, but it's, it's, tough. And then it's tough of how do I go live my life? And and do I still ask permission? And do I still put, you know, I want to put them first because they were putting me first. But mm-hmm. I said to her, I said, sometimes you have to put your donor first. Let's bring it back around to your donor. You're putting your donor first. And by doing that, you're putting yourself first.
1: Mm, wow. That is good. Yeah. And it's so true. It. It reframes it to where it's not about me. You know, if I was the patient, it's not about me. It's not about my family. It's about what needs to happen for the donor mm-hmm. and the gift.
0: And living your life, right? You don't have to be, I always say, you don't have to be Gandhi. You don't have to cure world hunger, but you have to live within restrictions. Sure. Within the the precautions that you have to take and restrictions of your team, but sure. live life. Go do your thing. And so helping them and how do you do that? There's that, you know, the survivor's guilt, pets and the Am I allowed to? The can I? Or, again, who am I? There was a lot of questions today about, uh, not today, this whole week, about just who am I now? And sometimes yeah. it might be different than who you were before, but also the same. And I even had this conversation with a caregiver uh, who's struggling with their loved one is still, Going through this journey, and it's a very tough journey, mm. but that that person is still that person. Talk to them as if you talked to them before. So, yes, mm-hmm. clinical versus – and there's – social work encompasses everything, right? Social work mm-hmm. is case management. Mm-hmm. No offense. <laughs> I should have said that with a little more zest. It's advocacy. It's clinical skills. It's therapy. It's family. I mean, when you look at it, when you take your LCSW boards, one of the questions, one of the practice questions was talking about, you know, what makes up social work. And so it really Mm -hmm. is. And especially, we said it in episode one, we're like multi-tools. And so then you have the patient assistance programs for some medications. Then you have the transportation issues. Then you have the just you know, doing your assessments. And sometimes you kind of feel like an assessment factory. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's all for the bigger purpose. But yeah, so that's that's my week. That's my week. Uh, Not that it was all glory and good. I am so far behind on all my documentation because of it. So we won't even go there.
1: (laughs) But that's a very good reason to be behind on your documentation. It's the reason you want to have to be behind in your charting and documentation, right? Instead of... Yeah, I just really don't have it in me to chart today, which obviously we we couldn't do if, even if we wanted to. But yes, it's it's really good that you were able to utilize that clinical skill set. And you make up a really good point. Um, I recently had a conversation with a caregiver, too, about that, where the caregiver, it was a little kind of the opposite of what you're talking about, where it was... The caregiver ultimately was, there was some tension between the patient and the caregiver because uh, they were a married couple and sorry guys out there, uh, the the wife was the caregiver, the, the husband was the patient, but it turned into the patient feeling better further out of transplant and wanting to manage more of his health, wanting to explore that process and journey of... Who am I? What can I manage? I want to be more independent. I want to be more active. And the wife, the caregiver, was so ingrained in that role that they were struggling with relinquishing that control and mm-hmm. relinquishing that responsibility and feeling as if it was a reflection on them. So there was a, a, a shift there mm-hmm. and talking about that, about how being in these roles do not make up our entire identity. Mm-hmm. But when it encompasses what feels like all of your time and all of your mental energy, it can easily slip from role to identity.
0: Hmm. And I yeah. think that can be something that can happen for a lot of different situations. Sure. And even you know, even we're all human. Even us, uh, as as clinicians, sometimes have to be mindful. You know, because it is, this is such a, such an intense world and such a passion that you can have for it. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be mindful there. It's a slippery slope.
1: Yes. That, uh, you know, we're not just Kristen and Tiffany social workers. We're Kristen and Tiffany who love to draw and love to run and have a family and are all the different things besides clinicians too.
0: Yes. Yes. Yes, we, we have to remind ourselves of that sometimes or have people remind us of that, <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> I can admit that. Quite often, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> it's a struggle, okay? Stop talking. It's not my turn anymore. Done. <laughs> and by the way, audience, she wasn't even looking at me. Um, I'm just knowing I'm protruding. Protruding? Protruding. I'm putting it out there. Yes. Okay. Projecting? Projecting. All of the above. It's Friday, Okay.
1: <laughs> that's right that's right we're gonna we're gonna make up new new uh what is it the cognitive dissonance <laughs> <laughs> yes we're we're gonna make up new maladaptive cognitive uh strategies totally
0: totally doing it totally doing it but yeah uh, so that's that's where i'm at i'm uh i'm friday night feeling all right we'll stay there nice and that's okay I mean, i'm not gonna feel guilty about it
1: no too. heck no you should feel guilty about it uh, yeah, no, there's no room for guilt in this room at all. Okay, so I have to give you a Likert scale for you to tell me how you're doing. And I am uh, frantically searching my closet. By the way, listeners, I record in my closet. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's as close to the Harry Potter fandom as I can get, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, are you the hidden Christmas presents that I am hanging on to until December that I got on sale. Or are you the super ugly collection of bridesmaid dresses (laughs) that no one will wear again, but I simply can't get rid of them for the nostalgia factor.
0: Uh, Yeah, I've been there. I (laughs) say that I am feeling like a good hanging pair of your favorite pants the pants that like
1: fit
0: fit just right but like i don't have a shirt to match it so like my pants are fit and and i got the shoes i just haven't figured out which shirt yeah
1: nice nice okay so we're about 75 percent adulting yeah
0: yeah i feel sweet yeah i'll I'll get the documentation done so enough about me i'm getting very uncomfortable have hives no uh (laughs) (laughs) All right.
1: How are Spotlight you? Spotlight is on me. Oh, man. You know what? I am doing very good. I'm doing very good. Okay. So, I I have been really stretching myself in terms of I mean, stretching myself in terms of commitments, obviously. I mean, we've said before our love languages projects that we want to take on. <laughs> so, there's that. But I'm actually stretching myself more personally in terms of trying to try new routines, try new rituals in my life, find ways to slow down. So one of the things that I challenged myself to do last week, oh gosh, or was it two weeks ago? Anyways, I decided that I was going to give up all caffeine. Ah. And... Yeah. And for those of you who, who are not familiar with my coffee addiction, it is <laughs> quite strong. It is the fuel that keeps this engine running. I always joke that I stay hydrated. It's just that I hydrate with bean water.
0: And you may hydrate with regular water. <laughs> I mean, a nutritionist once told me that there is water in coffee. It, it, see?
1: Exactly. So I, am, I was staying hydrated. However, it, it definitely... I, I more just wanted to challenge myself and find out, okay, what would my energy level look like? What would my mood look like? What would me as a person look like off of coffee? So what do you look like? Uh, the first week I was a bear. I was a total and complete bear. And I did actually have to call in sick one day mm. because I, I felt like I had the flu, like I did not get out of bed all day. Wow. It just was horrible. But here we are into week two. I have not had any caffeine and the headaches are gone. It is taking me a little longer to wake up in the morning, but I'm sleeping better mm-hmm. and I'm just more leveled out and I'll, I'll reintroduce caffeine later. I can't give it up that easily, but I think it'll be a healthier relationship with it. So I'm actually feeling quite invigorated oh. this week.
0: I like it. I like it. You know, and you absolutely can. Sometimes it's healthy to change routines. Sometimes it's healthy to just kind of make those changes, and some of them are hard because they're so much a part of us.
1: hmm But
0: knowing that it can be done, knowing that you may or may not introduce it in the future, maybe it's a special treat versus a routine, or maybe it's just a lot more or less, more, a lot less, um... But, you know, you're doing it, and you're doing it to better yourself. And I think that is, you know, something that we can all think about is what are ways, what are things that are in our life that are, are you know, areas that we know maybe could be worked on. So congratulations. Mm-hmm. I have done that before. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. <laughs> but Mm-mm. it's no. it was it was worth it. It really
1: was. And... Another small highlight of my past week was um, I actually go to a local farmer's market and they have a yoga class and a sound bowl meditation class. And so I got to do that. And it was actually very interesting because I absolutely love and adore the the teacher that is regularly the one there. And unfortunately, we had a substitute teacher. But what was what was fortunate and interesting about it was that that teacher it kind of went with the whole theme of trying new things and stretching out those uh, those comfort zones and that sort of thing and she taught this yoga class in a way that I have never done before it was all breathing exercises so even though we barely moved what felt like my I still felt just amazing
0: after this class so Yeah, that was a huge win, too. Okay, good for you. All right, well, on that note, then, (laughs) let's see the Likert scale of where you are in life, then. Are you the warm sheets just getting out of the dryer on a cold winter day right before you go to sleep? Or are you the scrubs that you wore into a room with all of the diseases and then you (laughs) actually had to crawl... You had, to, you had to bend down and go under the bed because that's where the remote ended up for the patient. And, of course, you're going to get it for them. So you got underneath yeah. there and got it. And then.
1: I mean, because how else do you have, can you establish rapport with a patient by oh, crawling under the bed to get the remote? Exactly. Yeah. Someone's got to do the, Lord's the work. You have to care for
0: the patients. <laughs> <laughs> and you yeah. are doing the Lord's work. Uh, so, <laughs> exactly. So, which, uh, you know, the, the scrubs with. The, the room with the C. diff and the under the bed or the uh, the Ugh. sheets coming out of the dryer on a cool winter evening.
1: I am actually going to go with the sheets for the first time ever. Oh. I'm going to go full-blown full on blown. The happy scale. Yes.
0: I love that. I love it. Ah, get it, girl. For sure. Get it, get it, girl. Yeah. <laughs> and that is <laughs> so the we'll thing see. you should lift each other up to. And when someone is doing good, and that's the thing I want to put out there too into the world so much. There's so much about like, oh, are they, they did this, they did that. Who did that? Lift each Mm -hmm. other up. You see someone wearing a shirt you like, hey, that's a really cool shirt. You see someone that's that's out there doing it. Hey, I see you. I notice you. Get it. So I see you, Kristen. I notice you. Get it. Yes, girl.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And that's a perfect uh transition to our today's quote and our topic. So today's topic is essentially compliance. Uh-oh. Which that's just that's I a know. bad
0: word. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it really this does. This is a controversial like it, it, this is a little controversial. It is. And so uh, the the outline is actually set up a little differently for our notes. And, and I wanted to do that intentionally to see where it takes us because we're just going to go the scenic route. But we'll start with the quote. So... It was actually kind of hard. Let me just say it was kind of like really hard to find a quote that had the word compliance in it. I don't know why I was so determined to find one, but I did. I was going to say, it doesn't have to have the word in it. But I mean,
0: you know, get it. You did it. But to
1: me, it did. And it works. (laughs) It works. I hope that the audience agrees. So all I want is compliant with my wishes after reasonable discussion. Winston Churchill.
0: Winston I mean, can you get any better than that? And I think that is such a true quote. And it really is encompassing when we talk about compliance. And we talk about it in the regards of sometimes it comes down to people just want to know more about it. They want to know the why. And it comes across Mm -hmm. maybe as challenging the questions or challenging the information. but. Perhaps in their mind, they haven't really had the explanation.
1: Exactly. And so the first thing I wanted us to do was lay out the foundation of social determinants of health. So uh, if you haven't heard of social determinants of health, it was um, an initiative that was brought out essentially by the CDC and um, health.gov. To uh, look at different factors that may or may not, that may improve a patient's outcomes or access to healthcare or make it more difficult. So, the social determinants for health are economic stability, education access and quality, healthcare access and quality, neighborhood and built environment, social and community context. And as social workers, It's important for us to learn about these social determinants of health because how do we weed through if a patient has been compliant with their medical management or has it been that there was a psychosocial barrier or a socioeconomic barrier that if there were resources or if there was uh, more problem solving added to that, would that have made a difference in the patient's compliance? So an example of that would be, you know, if I have two patients and one says, yeah, you know what, I really don't take my medicine when I, when I feel good. I only take it when I feel bad. But then I have another patient who said, yeah, you know, I wanted to take my medicine, but I, didn't, I don't have a car and I didn't have a ride to the pharmacy or I wanted to go see my doctor, but I didn't have any way to get there or I didn't have a way to pay parking. Those are two different scenarios. How how can we say one patient is noncompliant and the other one is?
0: Well, and I'd like to throw in there too, maybe there's a third patient that didn't take his meds because he really didn't know how important they were. He didn't know yes. the impact on him. He knew that, okay, this is the doctor's recommendation. And yes, you should follow the recommendation, but perhaps didn't know how detrimental because of that health literacy aspect of it. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And so health literacy is also part of that. And really, I feel like health literacy is a whole other topic that we could unpack, honestly. <laughs> yes,
0: that will be a later episode, I think,
1: because yeah, it should no be. Kidding.
0: It's, it's, <sighs> yes, it's being talked about a lot. It's being looked at. And it is something that's under looked at, I want to say. I mean, cool. and, and people don't know what it means, I feel.
1: So I uh, you are absolutely reading my mind because I was just about to ask two questions. One um well not the first one's not really a question, but I feel as if to specifically in the world of transplant and Elvad, it's not looked at as much or it it's only starting to be explored and newly introduced into the world of transplant. And maybe I'm wrong in the terms of like Kidney transplant, abdominal transplant, realm, that sort of thing. But at least in my experience with LVAD and heart transplant, usually we don't have the time to assess fully assess a patient's health literacy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, what, what would you think?
0: So that's actually a topic we've been talking about a lot as a group in in my world. Is that hey? But remember the health literacy. Hey, the Mm -hmm. health literacy, um, my doctors are actually bringing it up. And Mm. now sometimes it is, there are a lot of other barriers and they want to use the health literacy as maybe a crutch of, we should overlook some of those other barriers. They just don't understand. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes it is that, but it's also, sometimes it's not. And Mm -hmm. it's weeding that out. I think it very much exists, and I think it is something that needs to be further discussed. I think that it is it is hard. Like you said, there's not always the time, and there's not always the, the understanding. Or on the flip side of it, there is also the, well, because there's poor health literacy, let's just say, let's give them a pass. And so my question to you
1: is, how would you explain health literacy to the audience?
0: So I think health literacy is – and I'm not looking – I was going to Google it, but I'm just going to go with it. I'll let Krishna Google it while I'm talking. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, the way that I look at it is it's someone that may be an intelligent individual. I think this is the important part to know. It's not saying that you're, you have low literacy or you're illiterate. It is mm-hmm. that you're not as literate in health. You don't, you haven't been taught it. You haven't, you know, you're not sitting there reading about it. Unfortunately, you haven't been to medical providers that have explained it, that have taken the time. And so you don't recognize how much of an impact um, McDonald's every day might have on you or missing a medication is going to have and how important it is, or even missing the medical appointments, Not, not really, okay, yeah, doc. All right, that's fine. See see you next year kind of thing. Not just not really understanding the the body as a whole, not understanding the. Well, that and like things as simple as reading a pill
1: bottle, Mm -hmm. you know, or being able to read a nutrition label. Uh, That doesn't mean that you can't you are illiterate. You can't read. But reading context in that way is is challenging Mm -hmm. for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. How did, how, and correlating them.
1: S- yes. And correlating them, what that means to you for your body and for your health. And so, thanks to Google, <laughs> the CDC defines health literacy. The definition of health literacy was actually updated in August of 2020, fun fact, and personal health literacy is the degree to which individuals have the ability to find, understand, and use information and services to inform health-related decisions and actions for themselves and others. Other fun fact, there is two separate definitions for health literacy. That's the personal one, and there is an organizational health literacy, which is the degree to which organizations equit- equitably enable individuals to find, understand, and use information to make better decisions for their health.
0: Hmm.
1: So there's personal and organizational.
0: I, I guess it makes sense. I mean, because it it can be um, you understanding it in your own degree, and then uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, when you think about it, how how often have you Oh, and I don't want to speak. Out. I don't want to make it a bigger thing than it might be because, <laughs> again, it's not the whole <laughs> topic. But, you know, organizational health literacy, thinking about the providers, the medical providers out there that maybe aren't even thinking about this and aren't even thinking to give uh, the education or what's wrong with, with their patients, quote, or even recognizing that, hey, this might be advanced heart failure. Um, right. Maybe I am out of my scope here. I've done everything I can. Uh, did, did we, did we think of inotropes or maybe this is the pulmonologist and they say, ah, no, you just need to stop smoking. Um, but don't really think, Hey, you could refer for a transplant or is there a lung volume re- reduction that could be done, you know? Mm-hmm. And so and maybe again, maybe I'm taking it too broad when I say it like that, but
1: no, I love it. And I love it that, uh, you know, we're like, I, like we always say we're taking the scenic route, but the fact is that we're unpacking it where it makes sense for us and how are we going to be able to utilize it as a lens to look through if we don't, um, I, I, I actually saw the, and now it's got me wanting to like actually really look into it and read, read more specifically about organizational health literacy. But I saw it more as like, okay, we're both part of hospital institutions, right? So if my hospital institution, you know, their their standard protocol was just printing off these educational pamphlets on on chronic illness or disease processes, but they were at a college reading level, and they, uh, you know, we handed a patient a med list. That was difficult to discern what is and is not required for them or expected for them to take. Friendly disclaimer, that is not how my institution runs whatsoever. This is strictly a hypothetical situation.
0: Uh, In case anybody trips and falls into this podcast. (laughs) We do not speak for our institutions. If you ever find out who our institutions are, this is solely our own views and opinions of the hosts, Kristen and Tiffany, not the institutions we work for. (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly. And that is why we have disclaimers. Thank you very much. But then let's say that your institution, you know, puts things, uh, adds, uses visual aids, uh, has things broken down, has things at a uh, more of a sixth grade reading level or grade school in general reading level. You can see how those two things were, would be different and probably would impact a patient's ability to understand their health. So for me, organizational health literacy really means the system itself or the or, the healthcare institution, are they providing the resources necessary for health literacy? Mm. Improved health literacy, I should say.
0: Yeah. But, I, but again, I, am I, I overcomplicating this? Right. You know, because <laughs> I could see that point too. I was just trying to, to see real quick if there was some additional... Uh, information on organizational uh, health literacy, but again, we digress. Perhaps that is something we can get back to you guys on. Looking yeah, into but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think the bigger bigger picture here of why we even talk about this is because it's not being talked about and mm-hmm. or uh, highlighted as much, and so that's why. You know, hopefully, this fuels you and kind of thinking about it in your own. And thinking about that when you are looking at the patient and you're looking at bringing it bringing it into social work intervention, right? You're micro, mm-hmm. you're macro, you're mezzo, you're, I mean, right? Looking at- You're all the things. All of it, across it. So when you, when you think maybe, oh, I like to do only micro social work or I like to do only macro social work, it's kind of all of it when you're looking at human beings.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're all part of this bullseye of systems. And there's this ripple effect, too, where Mm -hmm. you can have an impact at many different levels when you help navigate all of those different pieces Mm -hmm. of the patient and their ability to be successful. I also think that health literacy is extremely important with compliance because, I mean, specifically with the LVAD. So you have a device that is permanently implanted into your heart and has a cable that comes out of your abdomen, connects to batteries, has a controller. Have you, I know you love to read. Tiffany, have you ever read the user manual for the that? <laughs> no. Have you seen those things?
0: They're so big. But we give them- They're so big. We give them to the caregivers to read. (laughs) Sometimes we- Yes, it's- I mean, we have like a whole education thing that we give to the caregivers, but part of it is the owner's manual. (laughs) It is- It is outrageously
1: huge. This sucker is like four to 600 pages big.
0: Ah, it's- Yes. Like-
1: (laughs) Wow, it, it reminds me of the
0: size of the of a phone book. Really? <laughs> well, because it is, and like <laughs> if you think about it, right after an LVAD, uh you can't lift over you know pretty much a gallon of milk to start with. And so, can you even lift a manual? <laughs>
1: So we're going to give them a user manual that's heavier than their (laughs) lifting ability and and say, do your physical rehab with this manual uh, while reading it simultaneously. Yeah. No, it's so true. And so I thought, because I'm a glutton for punishment, you know what? I am going to read this. I want to see what we're giving these patients. And so I brought a manual home. I sat down with my, at the time, cup of coffee. And I got about two pages in and was like, Wow. <laughs> this is hard. Wow. I, I the coffee isn't even doing it for me now. I'm I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> and and I work in healthcare. So I can't even imagine somebody who you know it, it really has very little exposure to the, the the world of healthcare and then abruptly finds themselves in in-stage heart failure and in the ICU needing an LVAD. Yeah. So.
0: Well, and I think you can take that even to, you know, when we talk about social determinants and, and one of the things you had mentioned too was even your environment and your neighborhood. Right. Yes. And so you think about someone that maybe is in a neighborhood that's not, not the best for being a transplant patient or being an LVAD patient. Maybe they're home for, you know, reasons that, that just life is not mm-hmm. equipped for making a sterile environment for the LVAD dressing changes. And so you have this patient that comes in with these frequent infections, driveline infections, mm-hmm. and you're like, what are you doing? But again, well, what, what are you doing? Uh, you know, I think it's about the tone. What's, what's going on more? And I think insert social work, right? Because that's something... I know when we have patients that come in that, that are coming in pretty frequently, we see them in the hospital and I work with them to kind of find out like what is the, what my my question that I ask them is, what are your barriers to success?
1: Mm, that's a fair. It's that's a good one because it's a shift on the miracle question, mm-hmm. because what I'm hearing you say is that you essentially ask the miracle question. If you had a magic wand, what would it look like? You know, what would your world look like? But you're shifting it to say, you know, what is it that's keeping you from having that magic wand or getting to that exactly. without it?
0: And, and it also is, it's, it's, it's not blaming. Um, so yes. it's not saying, why can't you do this? Or why does this Why don't you just happening? understand? Yeah. And so it's, I came up with that one a couple of years ago and I did, I noticed a change when I, when I talked to the patient and it engages them because it makes them think about it too. And it's, it's the compliance part of it because perhaps it is the social determinant. Perhaps it is the inability to get transportation. Something happened and they never told us about within their family dynamics. Something happened within their financials and they didn't want to tell us, things like that. Or maybe it is patient saying, I'm in my own way. Like, my barrier is that I've got lazy. Mm-hmm. And that's – I've had all of the above responses or some people start thinking about well if i could do xyz i think that would be and it's okay maybe we can actually make that happen maybe we could get for going down the road of elvad maybe we can get a home pti in our kit instead of having to have you mm-hmm. keep coming you know maybe we can get that approved through your insurance and see if that is if that can take some of the pressure of going to the anticoagulation clinic or you know having to have these critical values and that, that just keep going,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we know sooner. exactly. You know what, Kristen? I actually think this might be a good stopping point for us. I think we covered some good topics and information and, as we like to do, took the scenic route. But I think I want to stay here and sit in this space for a little bit. I think maybe we could do a part two where we talk a little bit more about how this correlates and interacts and interjects with compliance. If everybody's good with that, I think this is where we're going to leave y'all.
1: I totally agree, Tiffany. This is a good stopping point. We covered a lot of ground. And so we'll split this episode up into a two-parter. So yeah, I'm excited.
0: Check back soon for part two of this discussion. Let us know... If you have any thoughts in the interim but we hope to give you more content and have just true conversations with each other and and with all of you so please please interact with us let us know your thoughts let us know your way of looking at social determinants let us know how you assess for this and and incorporate it until then see you next time bye All right guys, thanks for listening. We're Kristen and Tiffany. Working in Transplant takes a team. We hear you and we see you. We're in this together and together we are stronger. Be
1: sure to check out our show notes for more information found in today's episode. Take a look at our website for additional resources and links that may have been mentioned in today's episode. You can also find us on Instagram and our website, which is found in the show notes. Bye now. Bye-bye. This podcast solely reflects the individual opinions, positions, and or viewpoints taken by its hosts and guests and does not reflect or represent any official opinions, positions, and or viewpoints of the Society for Transplant Social Workers Incorporated, its board of directors, and or membership.